How was your weekend? Awesome. I took my family to, uh, to Leavenworth this last weekend. <clears throat> and I remember going there as a kid. And uh, it's a lot more fun as an adult. There's a, lot of thing, there's a lot of cool things to do there. We took our kids on a carriage ride, and they got to, they got to ride one of those you know, horse-drawn carriages and stuff. They thought that was the coolest thing in the whole world. But I'm glad, uh, glad to be here with you this morning and talk about uh, Matthew chapter 25. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 25. We've been in a series called The Storyteller, and it's been all about the parables of Jesus. And we've been talking about why Jesus chose a method of storytelling to convey messages about the kingdom. And he wanted people to know what the kingdom of heaven was like, what the culture of heaven felt like. And so he described the kingdom of heaven using stories instead of giving us a a legal document with do's and don'ts, and this is what you should do, and this is what you shouldn't do. He describes the kingdom of God. He conceptualizes it instead of legalizes it. And uh, we're going to be reading a, a pretty famous parable of Jesus. It's the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold that we see in Matthew 25. But, but to set this parable up, to set this story up, uh, Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry. In fact, in the very next chapter in Matthew 26, it begins the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus as he goes to the cross. And so in Matthew chapter 25 uh, and, and chapter 24, he begins this discussion with his disciples about the end times, about the end of the age. And his disciples come and they ask him, how do we know Uh, about the end days. What are the signs and what should we look for? And so Jesus begins in Matthew 24 to describe what the signs of the end would look like. And and he describes them as birth pains. And then he tells his followers uh, that, that nobody knows the day or the hour that he's going to return, that he's coming back. And finally, he tells three consecutive parables in Matthew 25. That all relate to his second coming. And so the first parable that he tells is the parable of the ten virgins. And then the second story right after that, he tells what we're going to talk about today. The parable of the talents of the bags of gold. And finally, he tells a story about sheep and goats and and, and giving to the least of these and taking care of the least of these. (coughs) Excuse me, I've got some, some stuff in my throat. But each of these parables reveals an important value that Jesus urges his listeners to consider regarding the end times. And if you don't know it already, we are living in the end times. That when Jesus came on earth, he inaugurated the end of the age. He be, we, we now are living in the last days, and so we are to be ready and vigilant. And so this first parable that he tells about the ten virgins is about readiness and preparation. The second parable that he tells about the talents is a story about faithfulness and about stewardship. And the third story about the sheep and the goats is about righteousness and showing compassion to the least of these. And we're not saved by our own works. I hope that everybody in this room understands that we don't believe we are saved by our own works. We're saved by the grace of Jesus and what he did for us. But if you read these two chapters in Matthew, you'll see that each believer has an assignment to prepare for Jesus' return. That we have something to do in the meantime. That we prepare and we ready ourselves for Jesus' return. So we're going to talk about the second story in Matthew 25. So turn with me to uh, 25, uh, verse 14 through 30. I'm going to turn there real quick. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It says this, Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man 
going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. Some of your translations say five talents. To another two bags and to another one one bag, each according to his own ability. That's important. Each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with what? Few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with what? A few things, just a little bit. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. A master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not have sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker, so that when I returned, it would have received it back, it would have received it back with interest. This is where I wish the story ended, but it keeps going. So take the bag of gold from him, and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them, and thrown and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Welcome to church. <laughs> Happy Sunday. <coughs> you know, a talent, this bag of gold, was uh, one of the greatest forms of currency in the Greco-Roman world. A talent was the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages. One talent, 20 years worth of wages. I did the math for you, okay? In the year 2020, the average annual salary in America was $56,000. Now, if you multiply that by 20 years, you get roughly $1.1 million. So a talent, in today's equivalent of a talent would be roughly $1.1 million. So the master gives one servant $1.1 million. He gives another servant $2.2 million. And to another servant, he gives $5.5 million. That's a lot of money. They each received an incredible fortune from the master. And he gives, this, gives them this money to, to use freely to do what they want with it. He doesn't have any expectations. What does he do? He gives them talents and then he leaves for his journey, right? And you might be thinking, well, great, pastor. God has never given me $1.1 million, so what do I do with this parable? How does this apply to me? Well, this isn't a message about money, although this message could very well be applied to our finances because it's a message about stewardship. And God called, he calls each of his believers to be obedient to his voice in every area of life, including our finances, our relationships, our, our talents, our time, 
And the question that I want to ask you is, are you being obedient to what God has called you to do now? Are you being faithful with the word that God has given you today? Don't think about all the things that you wish you could be or all the things you wish you could accomplish or what you think God wants to do in you in the future. What has God asked you to do today? What is he calling you to do right now? Are you listening to God's voice? Have you been listening to what he's asking you to do? I want to share a little bit about my story and the last couple of years, my wife and I, our story. You know, in 2019, I was very frustrated with ministry. And I questioned altogether the significance of my calling as a worship pastor. I had been a worship pastor for seven years in my previous church. And I wondered if I was making a difference. And I was starting to feel this itch to move on and whether I was to continue in ministry or do something completely different. And so in January of 2020, I was in a staff meeting uh, and my pastor was talking. And in the middle of staff meeting, I heard God's voice clearly say to me, 2020 is your last year at Red Hills Church. This is going to be your last year. Now, I had no idea what was next. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I just know that I was supposed to close the chapter, close that that part of the book. And so I, I heard this voice that I'm supposed to begin my exit. I wanted to end well. I wanted to give my pastor plenty of time. So I, a couple weeks later, I started a conversation with him. And I just told him, hey, this is what I heard the voice of the Lord say. He told me, <coughs> excuse me, he told me that 2020 was my last year here. And so I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but let's just begin the process of exiting because I just want to be faithful to what God is asking me to do. And so we began, uh, we be, they began the hiring process. They began looking for other worship leaders to take my place. And, and you know, I, I heard the voice of God in that moment, but I didn't know what was coming next. I, I considered leaving ministry. I considered just diving into music or maybe diving into real estate, becoming, you know, a, a Chip and Joanna Gaines uh, flipper-upper. And, uh, you know, maybe I could, I could move to Waco and, and make something myself in the real estate business. It's a hot thing going on over there right now. You know, but I could feel God steering me in the direction of lead pastor, but I wasn't sure that I had what it took. All I heard God say was, this is it for, for Red Hills Church. Just stop doing this. I didn't know what was next. And so three months later, COVID happens. March comes along and COVID comes and I, I question altogether, am I doing the right thing? Am I supposed to be quitting this stable job with a staff that I love and a community that I love? Am I hearing God? And as I listened for what I should do, I had this thought that if I don't step out in obedience, I will always wonder what God might have done if I would have given him that obedience. If I, don't, if I don't listen to the voice of God and just do what he's asking me to do today, then I will always wonder what God would have done in my life if I would have just listened to him. And so as we were faithful and we began the process of, of talking to other churches and I reached out to my district supervisor and I even, I was looking for other jobs outside of ministry. Uh, as, as we were faithful and I just began taking step by step, God was even more faithful and he provided everything that we needed that put us right here in Ephrata. He provided the house, he provided the finances, he provided my parents and my grandmother moving here to Ephrata to be with us and help us raise our kids. God answered our prayers fully and he was faithful, but we had to listen just to the one step that we had that was just, let's leave this place. I don't know where we're going, I don't know what's next, but we just have to listen to what God is telling us to do. See, the only thing he's asking of you is to be obedient 
with, with what he's given you right now? What has he told you to do right now? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and my wife can relate to this. My wife is driven. She's ambitious. She's got goals. She wants to be in the medical field one day. She double majored at college. She's way smarter than I am. She's got dreams and visions, but at one season in her life, she's blushing in the back right now. But in one season of her life, God asked her to lay all that aside. And what he's called her to do right now is to raise our four kids and to teach our kids to love Jesus and to be the best mom that she can possibly be. God has asked her to do that right now. That's the season she's in. Maybe God has got you in a season where he's asking you to lay aside your hopes and your dreams for what he's got planned for you. That doesn't mean that he's never going to give you back your hopes and dreams. In fact, God often does. He knows the desires of your heart and he gives those things back to you. But what is God asking you to do right now, no matter how difficult it might be? I think of our money as a great example. I hear people say all the time, you know, maybe you've heard this too. If I ever won the lottery... I would give so much of it away to charity. I would tithe to the church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I would, I would help my parents pay off their houses. And I would, I would get this for my parents. And, and I go, really? Because if you don't know how to steward $20 well, what makes you think that you're going to learn how to steward millions overnight? You have to be faithful with the little things. You've got to be faithful with what you have right now in order to discover whether or not you are going to be faithful when you are given more. That's what this story is all about. So what, God, what has God given you to steward well? Yes, he's given you resources, but he's given you more than just financial material things. He's given you other things to steward as well. The first thing that he's given you to steward is this, time. You have a limited supply of time. It's very precious. It's the one thing that you will never get back. Some of you... You know this truth. You've got grandkids and you go, man, you are, you are, you're preaching to the choir, pastor. Where has the time gone? You have this limited supply, which makes it very precious. And if you want to truly discover what is precious to you, what's important to you, then look at your calendar. Look at the way that you use your time. It will tell you what you think is valuable. It will tell you what you think is precious. How do you spend your limited supply of time? Do you prioritize church or do you prioritize sports? Do you prioritize Netflix or your devotions, Facebook or quiet prayer time? Do you prioritize serving others and giving yourself away for the good and the benefit of others? Or do you prioritize spending time that, doing things that build your kingdom, your empire, that make you look good and feel good? How do you spend your time? You know, God has given us instructions for how to spend our time. And just like we tithe 10% of our income, God has asked us to tithe our time. That's why he's given us the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was made for you. It was made for you to enjoy, for you to find rest. You know, the Pharisees had this backwards. They thought that, that, that man was made for the Sabbath, for serving God. But God actually gave us a day of rest so that you can connect with him, so that you can take joy and pleasure in, in your work and the things that God has given you. God has instructed us to surrender one day each week uh, for, for rest, for resting with God. Did you know this statistic? I, I read a book called uh, the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Has anybody heard of this book? It's written by a pastor in Portland. 
John Mark Comer, and he, he talks about this fascinating statistic, and you can look it up, you can Google it, you can fact check me on this, but did you know that Seventh-day Adventists, you, know, you all know what a Seventh-day Adventist is, right? Okay, they, 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 they are very strict about taking the Sabbath. That's what makes them a Seventh-day Adventist. It's, they're very strict about taking the Sabbath off. Did you know that a Seventh-day Adventist, their average lifespan is roughly 10 years longer than, than, than the American average? The, the nation's average lifespan is 79 years, but Seventh-day Adventists typically live 10 years longer than the average lifespan. Now, here's, what the fasc- here's the fascinating thing, that if you were to take a day, if you were to add a day each week for every year of the average life expectancy, so the average life expectancy is 75 to 79 years. If you were to add a day each week for 75 to 79 years, guess what that comes out to roughly? Roughly 10 years, 10 or 11 years. It's like when you give time to God, when you steward well the time that is given to you, he gives it back. He gives you more time. This is an interesting principle that, that God's given us all time to steward. And, and, and how crazy is it to think that if I learn how to steward my time, well, God might actually give me more time, more time to spend with my family, more time to see my great grandkids grow up. God has given us each time for us to steward well. Another thing that God has given us to steward is he's given us talents. And yes, I'm not talking about the talents that we see here in the story, but talents is in gifts or passions or abilities. God has given you gifts and passions. He's uniquely created you with gifts and passions unlike any other. Yes, somebody else in this room might be able to do something that you are good at, but they don't have the ability to do that combined with your life experience, combined with your sphere of influence. Those three things create a recipe that make you uniquely positioned to do something that only you can do. Only you have the gifts and and abilities and talents combined with your life experience and your sphere of influence, the people in your life. God has uniquely positioned you to do something that only you can do. He's given you special abilities and gifts. And are you stewarding those things well? Are you spending those gifts and passions that God has placed inside of you? Or are they going to waste? Are you burying them in the dirt? Are you serving others with your gifts and passions? Or are you serving yourself? Are you causing your own kingdom to grow? You know, there's a saying that practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. And that the more that you use your gifts, the more they develop. The more that you utilize what God has given you, the more you steward well what God has given you, the better you get at those things. And the more, uh, the more that God gives you in, in, in the expertise of that area, you have gifts and talents, you have passions inside of you. Are you stewarding those things well? And the last thing that God has given you, and it starts with a T as well, is treasure. He's given you resources. And yes, I'm talking about money. People get uncomfortable when the pastor starts talking about money from the stage. But did you know that Jesus spent more time talking about money than he did heaven and hell combined when we read scripture? Why is that? Because he said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knows that your money can be attached to your heart. 
or vice versa, that your heart can be attached to your money. And so he says, he says, we want, I want you to give your heart or give your money, not to material things, but give your heart, give your treasure, give your resources to heavenly things, to things that will make an eternal impact. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You know, I hesitate to share this because I don't want to be perceived ever as that Pharisee on the street corner saying, hey, look what I did. But I want to just share about God's faithfulness in my life as my wife and I have seen this play out as we are faithful uh, tithing and, and faithful giving back to God. His faithfulness in our life is something that I need to share, that I need to tell people about. You know, ever since we got married, we made this decision, this difficult decision, that no matter what, our tithe was going to be the first thing that comes out of our paycheck, no matter what. And it was difficult at First Church. I mean, there, we had credit card debt. We had a ton of student loans we had to pay off. And, and, and it, it took a long time. It was a sacrifice getting used to not seeing that extra 10% in our bank account. And it was not a joyful experience. It was a sacrifice at first. But the more and more we did it, the more that we saw God's faithfulness in our life. And now it has truly become a joy to give. We look forward to an opportunity to give back to the Lord. And so through tough times and credit card debt and student loans, we made sure that we still gave it back to God. And we've seen God move in this area of our, in our life so faithfully that now we like to see if we can outbless God. We like to see if we can outbless God because Jesus, God says this is the one area where he encourages us to test him in this. This isn't a name it and claim it, give to God and he's going to make you a millionaire. No, no, no. God is saying, test me. See if you can outgive me. See if you can be more faithful than I will be faithful to you in your life because you can't do it. And so we try to give more than 10% now and we try to tithe on the extra that we receive. And so far we're failing at outgiving God because he just seems to just keep giving it back to us more and more. He just presses it down, shakes it, and he gives, it, gives us even more. But it's no longer a burden. We consider it a joy. We, we are filled with life when we give. God knows that when you can be trusted with a little, he blesses you with more because he knows you can be trusted with a lot. So what are you doing with the treasure, with the financial resources, with with the other resources you've been given to steward? How are you using those resources? Are you using those resources for heavenly impact, for kingdom impact and trusting the Lord with what you have? Or are you using it to build your own empire? And here's, I'm going to throw in a little extra thing. We'll talk about this in a bit, but I believe that the Lord has also given us relationships to steward. That the people in our life, God has placed in our life to steward well. We don't take those relationships for granted. There's nobody in your life that is there by accident. God, God has placed every single person in your life there for a reason, for a purpose, even if you don't like that person. I remember asking God, there was a season in my life where I was like, God, I need your compassion. I need, to teach, I need you to teach me patience. And guess who he throws in my life? Somebody who I can't stand. And God was like, you wanted me to teach you compassion and patience. Here's the person who's going to help you do it. And I was like, man, this is, I wanted to wake up tomorrow with more compassion and patience, not have to put up with this person. But God does that. He puts people in our life to steward well. Let me, let me talk for the rest of our time about three principles of kingdom stewardship that I believe we see in this story that, that we just read about the parable of the talents. There's three principles of kingdom stewardship that I want to talk about. There's probably more. But the first one is this. First principle is that it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Have any of you ever borrowed somebody else's car before? I went on this 
we went on a family vacation this last summer and we rented the nicest minivan I've ever rented before in my life. It was a 2020 Toyota Sienna with all the bells and whistles and I fell in love with the minivan, if you can believe it. Never thought that would ever happen. And I, I remember coming up to the counter and they're asking me, would you like to buy insurance? And I only pay for liability and I, I declined the insurance even though I only pay for liability. And let me tell you, when you do that, you're very conscious of the fact that it isn't your car, Right? And so as I'm driving, we're driving from Nevada to Utah, and the whole drive, I'm very conscious that this is not my car. I want to take care of this car. See, you treat the car differently because you know that it's not yours. And the car's condition upon its return reflects the level of your respect or honor or gratitude that you have for the person you borrowed it from. (coughs) It all belongs to God. He has called you to be a steward of your time, of your talents, of your treasure, of your relationships. And so when he returns and he asks for those things back, because how many of you know that when you die, you're not taking any of that with you? It all belongs to God. He's going to come, just like in the story of the talents, the master returns, and it's not this judgment day scenario. No, it's just this simple, hey, the master came back and he's asking for his stuff back. Okay? That's what's going to happen. The master is returning And he's going to ask for his stuff back. What did you do with what he gave you to steward? Parents. I think about parenting when it comes to this. You know, I I focus a lot on how to raise my kids. You can't tell me how to raise my kids. They're my kids, right? These are my kids. I'll raise them how I want to raise them because if I want to do this to my kids, I'm going to do it to my kids because they're my kids, right? I want to make sure my kids are obedient and respectful. How to educate my kids so they're successful in life. How to provide for my kids so that they're happy. And if I think of those kids as mine, I, 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 can, I think to myself, I can parent however I want to because they're my kids. But I need to remind myself that I'm only a steward of God's kids. These are God's kids that he's given me. I have to give them back. That's sad for me. It is. Because I love my kids. But if I come to realize that I have a God a heavenly father who who loves my kids more than I love my kids. It's a lot easier to give him back. You know that obedience, respect. We think that's the goal of parenting. I want obedient, respectful, successful, happy children. That's the goal. Those are not the goal. That's not the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is leading them into a relationship with their real father. That's the goal of parenting. If I can lead my kids to their real father then he will show them joy that I can never show them. He will show them a heaven's definition of success that I can never give them out of life. But I need to, live, I need to lead my kids to their real father and steward them well because they're not my kids. They're his kids. I'm in charge of them for the time being. I'm, I'm called to, to protect them, to keep them safe. But they're not mine. They're his. And it's, it's not easy, parents. I gotta remind myself over and over every day when I want to reach out and touch my kids, right? I want to reach out and touch my kids. I wait, this kid's not mine. I got to give this kid back. <coughs> Believe me, I had some of those moments in Leavenworth this last week, and I want to reach out and touch my kids. You're a steward of the time that God has given you on earth. You're a steward of the people in your life. You're a steward of the gifts and the passions he's deposited in you. You're only a steward. 
of the finances that God's given you. And when you die, you can't take any of it with you. It all belongs to God. He's given you charge over these things, not to make yourself famous. We think that's why he's given us these things. I can build, God's given me resources so I can build a kingdom for myself. I can make something of myself. No, he's not giving you things to make yourself famous. He's giving you these things to make Jesus famous. Not to build your own empire, but to build his kingdom on earth. It all belongs to God. That's the first principle. The second principle is this. You have what God wants you to have. And the opposite side of the same coin is you don't have what God doesn't want you to have. That's a little harder to hear. You know, when we read this story, especially in the West, in America, we we have an issue with this because it's not fair. Why did the master give one of his servants $1.1 million and he gives another servant 5.5? It's not fair. They didn't have the same starting point. They didn't have the same resources. Why? It's not fair, God. Why did you do that? But the story says that the master gave to each of his servants according to their ability. What does that mean? He knew their boundaries. He knows their potential. He knows their weaknesses. So he, distri- he, dis- he dispersed talents to them according to their abilities. And he did this intentionally. It wasn't haphazardly. He didn't roll the dice and say, I'm going to give you this much and you this much. And no, he knew everything about his servants. And so he distributed those talents to them according to their abilities. The story of the talents is a parable about capacity, not comparison. One servant had a greater capacity than the others, but it did not make him more loved or more valuable. And we're so quick to compare these servants and identify one as being better than the others, aren't we? Oh, the parable with that servant with the five talents. He must have been a better servant. He was more loved. We do this with others, don't we, in our life? We look at someone speaking from the stage or on the TV or in the news, and we think that person right there is a five-talent person. I wish I was a five-talent person. I'm just a one-talent person, I guess. We get all bummed. But it's not about comparison, church. It's about capacity. We have messed up ideas of success. And we think success is being known by others or having resources or having a platform. But that is not heaven's idea of success. We would all probably agree that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a five-talent type of guy. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, father of the faith, planted more churches than anybody else I know. He wrote most of the New Testament. Paul was a five-talent kind of guy. He was successful. You know what Paul's successful five-talent life looked like? Lots of prison and persecution and writing letters from a cell. That's what five-talent people look like sometimes. We got it all backwards. We think five-talent people have it easy, have it great. But it's not about comparison, church. It's about capacity. We can't compare our talents with others' talents because it isn't about who gets dealt the best hand. Well, that person was just dealt a better situation in life. It has everything to do with your capacity and whether or not you're going to be faithful what God has given you to be faithful with. And believe it or not, church, this story tells us that our capacity can grow. When we're faithful with what you have, our capacity grows. That's what we see in the first two servants, the servant with the five talents and the two talents is that their master returned and they grew what they had 
And the master said, I'm going to give you more. You've been faithful with little. I will give you more to be in charge of. Their capacities grew because they were faithful with what they had. You see, two out of two equals 100%. And a million out of a million still equals 100%. It's not about who has more talent. It's not about who has more resources or who has more of a platform or whatever it is that we're looking at and thinking is success. But it's the 100% trust that God is seeking from you, regardless of your capacity. Are you being faithful what God has asked you to do? Are you using with 100% the things that God, the people that God's placed in your life, the resources he's given you, the time he's given you, the talents he's given you? Are you using those things to their full capacity? I love this quote by a guy named Mike Burnett. He's a pastor, and uh, he wrote this book called Parable Church. He said this, Stewardship begins not with the desire to produce results, but with the realization that you've been given a specific investment for a specific reason, even if that reason hasn't yet been revealed. And here's the big part. Good stewards want the exact results their master has uniquely equipped them to produce. We get all these resources from God. We, We get this situation in life and we think, okay, the American story, right? I want people to look at my life and say, he started from the bottom, now he's here. He went from zero to hero. He made something out of himself, out of nothing. He took what little he had. I came to this country with $20 in my pocket and I built an empire. Look what I did with my life. That's the American dream, isn't it? That's the American story. We want to make something of ourselves. We want... want We want to take what we've been given and build our empire and build our kingdom. So when other people look at our life, they say, what a successful person that, that, look at that young man, that young whippersnapper, pastor at age 32, in that big old town of Afredo, Washington, metropolitan area. Look at that young, we want to make something of ourselves. But you know what? God has given you resources. He's equipped you with specific with a specific investment for a specific purpose. And good stewards want the exact results that their master has equipped them for. That's why we all need to ask, God, what do you want me to do with what you have given me? Not how do I come up with a grand, a grand scheme for my life? How do I come up with a plan for my life to make something of myself? But God, what do you want me to do with the resources you've given me? How can I be faithful with the little I have. Instead of wishing that we were more like another person, we need to fall in love with who God has created us to be. There's nothing that's more freeing than knowing your calling and your giftings and staying in your lane. It's freeing not knowing, I don't have to run somebody else's race. I don't have to look like somebody else. I don't have to be that person We get on Instagram and Facebook and we compare ourselves to others in our life and we think, man, that person has got it figured out. I need to be more like that person. No, it's not about comparison. It's about capacity. Are you using to the fullest capacity the things that God has given you in your life? I love this quote. I don't even know who said it, but it says, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. (laughs) You got to be yourself. Stay in your lane. Do what God has asked you to do and don't worry about what other people are doing. You have what God wants you to have. The third principle of kingdom stewardship is this. The size of your talent doesn't matter, but the size of your faithfulness does. 
The size of your talent doesn't matter. See, when the master distributed these talents to his servants, he didn't say, all right, I'm going to give you some money. It's going to be a lot of money. And here's what I expect of you to do. I want you to double it. I want you to make something of yourselves. I want you to earn that gold crown. So when you get to heaven, you've got something to throw at my feet. I want you to go make something. No, the master, he distributes the talents and then he leaves without any expectation, without any rules and stipulations. He gives freely to his servants a fortune, millions of dollars to his servants to use. And the servant with the one talent misunderstood the heart of the father because when the, when the, when the master returns, he says to the master, I knew you to be a hard man. That's the one part of what the servant said that the master didn't repeat. The master says, well, you knew that I, I sowed where I, or I, I gathered where I did not sow, but he did not repeat that he was a hard man. The, 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 the servant had misunderstood the heart of his master. He said, I knew you to be a hard man. In other words, the servant thought his master was cold and calculating. He thought the goal was to protect his master's investment. Now, let me ask you this. Does giving your servants millions of dollars to use freely sound cold? Was the master dependent upon his servant's success? Was he counting on it? And these guys better have done something with what I give them because I'm going to go broke if they don't. No, when the master returns, what does he say with a guy with $5.5 million? He says, you've been faithful with little. $5.5 million, that's just little. You've been faithful with little. Now I'll put you in charge of more. No, the master was not dependent upon his servant's success. He wasn't expecting each of his servants to double his money. He simply wanted them to share. Get this. The master wanted his servants to share in the expansion of his kingdom and experience the joy of heavenly resources. I don't need you to double my money. I don't need you to make something of myself, but I'm going to give you all of these resources because I want you to share and the expansion of my kingdom. And I want you to experience the joy of having heaven's resources at your back. Knowing that you have everything you need. You are fully equipped. If we don't trust the master's heart toward us, we can't live as good stewards because we are bypassing the basic foundational premise of the whole relationship with the master. And it's this. It's the goodness and the generosity of the master. That God is good. He's generous, and all he wants from you is for you to partner alongside of him to experience the joy of having heaven at your back and experience the joy of kingdom expansion with him. He says, come along for the ride. Come experience this joy. Don't take what I've given you and bury it in the sand and do nothing with it. That's not why I rose again. That's not why I died and came back to life. I came back to life to fill you with the Holy Spirit's power, to equip you with everything that you need to expand the kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God is like a master who gave his talents freely to his servants and said, just share in the expansion of the kingdom. Share in the joy of heaven's resources at your back. He's not looking for you to make something of yourself or to earn that crown. He's only looking for obedience. Stay faithful to the word that God has given you for today. And if you don't know the word that God has given you for today, you know your next assignment. is to spend some time in quiet prayer with the Lord and say, God, what is it that you want from me today? What do you want me to do right now? Not, I'm going to come up with this five-year plan. 
I'm going to get from point A to B by, by doing this, this, and this, and this is where I'm going to be 10 years from now. But no, God, what do you want me to do right now? Because when you die and you face the Father, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were obedient with what he asked you to do. I, I think there's going to be lots of pastors, there's going to be lots of people that get to heaven and they say, look what I did for you. I grew a mega church. I did all of this. I put on all these nonprofit organizations and I, I, I fed the poor. I did all these great things and God's going to say, but you didn't do what I asked you to do. You weren't obedient with what I asked you to do. I gave you a call on your life and you ignored it to do the things that you thought were what I was asking you to do. He's looking for obedience. Most of us have 80 to 90 years to make an eternal impact on earth. And think of all the people who have changed the world in that amount of time. I think of, we already talked about him, the Apostle Paul, father of the faith, wrote most of the New Testament. Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Albert Einstein, Mother Teresa, Henry Ford, Nikola Tesla. Think of all that Jesus did within 30 years. 30 years, that's, all, that's what he had. All, the, the thing that all of these people have in common is this. They used what they, were, what they were given. They were faithful with what they had. They were obedient. They didn't try to run somebody else's race. They didn't try to look like somebody else. If you get to know me, you know that I'm a, you'll know that I'm a terrible basketball player. As much as I want to be a good basketball player, I remember people at our old church inviting me to join the church basketball team. And I was like, you know what? I'm flattered that you think that I'm like that. But I did drama in high school, Okay. And I am not a good basketball player. If I try to become that person and, and run that race, become somebody else that I'm not, I'm going to fail miserably. But I get to walk freely and knowing I'm not good at that. So I'm not going to try it. I'm good at this. I'm going to stay in this lane. And I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. We all need to figure that out. We all need to figure out, you know what? I'm not going to try to be like that person because I don't have that. I wasn't given that. And that's okay. I'm going to be faithful with what God has given me. I'm going to grow in capacity. I'm going to grow in faithfulness. I'm going to ask Mary to come up as we close. There's an urgency to this parable. Believe it or not, when you read Matthew chapter 24 and 25, there's an urgency to it. Because it's all about Jesus' return. This story that we talked about today, it's presented in between two other stories that all have to do with when Jesus comes back. And we don't know when he's returning, but the Bible says that he's coming soon. And when my wife and I have guests over to our house, we pick up the kids' toys, we wipe the counters off, we sweep, okay, my wife does all this stuff. We, we clean the house because we know people are coming over. We got people on the calendar, Right? So we know, hey, they're going to be here at 6, so we're going to start cleaning up at this time and make sure that everything is spotless by the time we get here. Guess what? We do not have that luxury with Jesus. We, don't, we can't put Jesus' return on the calendar. We don't know when he's coming back. And so many of us say, God, can you give me just like a two-year notice so I can start practicing faithfulness? I could get my life in order. I can say no to these habits and, and start doing things that I know you'll approve of. We don't have that luxury Although some people think that they do. Some people live their life thinking that, that that's what's going to happen. That they got plenty of time to figure it out. You don't have that time to figure it out. Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour that I'm coming back. 
So live today in faithfulness. Live today in obedience. Just do today what I ask you to do. You know, the thing about it is that when Jesus comes back, he's just going to take hope in this church. Take hope in the fact that that when Jesus comes back, he's not going to be looking for a list of accomplishments. He's just going to be looking for, do you love me? Did you do what I asked you to do? We can take hope in that. I love Jesus, and I'm trying to do what he asked me to do. And yeah, sometimes it gets really cloudy. Sometimes it gets muffled. I don't hear him so clearly. But there's grace for that, church. We come to God and we say, God, I can't hear your voice so well. I don't know what you're asking me to do. Holy Spirit, provide the wisdom and the counsel that I need to start doing what you've asked me to do, and he'll provide those things for you. We just ask. Jesus wants us to show compassion to the poor and the marginalized, to share the message of Jesus with everyone we encounter, just to be faithful with with what he's asked us to do. Two greatest commands in the Bible is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. So within that context, God, what are you asking me to do? to be faithful to that command, to love you with all my heart, to show your love to people around me. How do you want me to do that? Can we stand, church? Just place your hand on your heart. And just be honest with yourself. Some of us are in a season of life. We just don't know what we're doing. Some of us get lost And we just float. We just feel like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life now. I don't know. I don't know what you have for me, God. I feel like maybe the best days were behind me or maybe I I didn't do enough to prepare myself for what you have. And so I missed out. Those are lies. You know what? For those who love Jesus, your best days are always ahead of you because the Holy Spirit never stops working in your life. Your best days are ahead of you, church. Your best days of following Jesus, of doing what he wants you to do, they're ahead of you. So Jesus, make it clear to us what you want us to do. It comes from your word. It comes from your spirit's voice. Allow us to attach our hearts, to attach our ears to those things so we can discover what you want us to do. God, we want to be faithful. I don't want to run anybody else's race. That comes with heartbreak. It comes with sorrow and disappointment, knowing that, man, I'm just not like that. God doesn't want you to be like that. He wants you to be you. He wants you to run the race he's given you to run. So, Father, help us find that joy, being sons and daughters of God, with heaven's resources at our backs, knowing that we get to share in kingdom expansion. We take joy in it, Jesus. Keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. If there's anybody in this room, maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't know a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've wandered far from God and you say, you know what, today I need, I need to experience what it's like to have a relationship with a God who loves me so much that he gave everything to equip me. If that's you today, you've never said yes to Jesus, but today you're saying, I need to today. Today's the day. Would you just raise your hand? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to pray with you. Raise your hand high for me to see if that's you. 
Father, we love you. We thank you for people in this room, for the relationships you've given us. Help us to steward those well. God, we ask for more of your Holy Spirit and your, more of your guidance. Lord, pray that we would ponder these things throughout the week. It would just not be a couple hours on Sunday, but Lord, you would begin to churn these things in our heart. Just begin to till that soil and, and, and make, it a, make it a good place for your word to land on, to grow in. Keep, a, keep our hearts soft. Keep us humble. It's a dangerous prayer. Lord, keep us humble. Do what you have to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. I love you, church. We'll see you next Sunday.